0: So how are all my brothers and sisters this morning? Are you all happy? I'm I'm glad to hear that because if you're not happy, that means I've got to do a bit of counseling. Anyway, it's always great to be here and to see how God is working in the midst and how lives are being changed through the challenge of being obedient to the truth of God's word. So let me start. We're in the third week on our series, Hidden Heroes, and uh, when you think of a hero, see, normally when we think of a hero, we think of somebody that is, you know, strong, someone that's got great intellect, someone that's got charisma or even beauty, and uh, we may even think of a person that has a lot of wealth, but our hero today has none of those things. In actual fact, he was just a farmer. And he was really enjoying his trade. He had no real desire to do anything more than just be a farmer. No political aspirations. No thoughts of ever being a great military leader. But God had a different plan for his life. See, so the Gideon story in the Old Testament is a unique story. It's a story of how God takes a... Man, It makes a hero of somebody that is totally, totally an unlikely person. And as much as it's a story of great exploits, because I can't put all the scriptures up today, so I'm just going to pull a few out. Some will be on the overhead or on the side screens. Sorry, Louis, don't smile because I'm talking about an overhead that shows how old I am. Uh, and some I'm just going to read to you, okay? You can have a laugh from me. So it's not just a story of great exploits. It's also a story of transformation. It's a transformational uh, story as well. But before we get to that story, we need to set a background so we can better understand the condition of God's people, the, the Israelites, that condition that they were in. And so the period of the Judges is known as one of the lowest times In Israel's history. And we are told that in those days, Israel had no king. And everybody did what they thought was right in their own sight. They thought what they did was right. And so this book records seven cycles of sin that spanned about 300 years. The cycles began, and I want you to take note, they began with disobedience. Problems always start with disobedience which resulted in bondage and ultimately in misery. You see, when we don't obey God, that's the end result that we find ourselves in. And then every time this happened, God would raise up a judge. And that judge would call God's people back to God. And uh, this then would result in repentance, deliverance, and Rest and revival, because that's what happens. We find rest in God. There's a revival that takes place in us when we repent and change our attitude and we are delivered out of whatever the problems are. But as soon as it gets easier, and every time it got easier for the nation of Israel, back into compromise and disobedience. You see, because when you compromise, you're always going to end up in disobeying the things of God. And so that's where they would go. And so in their years of peace and prosperity, the people began to wander from God's will. And uh, as often happened, their moral decline led to a military oppression from the outside. And that's what the story is. They were oppressed by their enemies. Their enemies burnt their crops, spared no living thing for Israel, destroyed all their livestock. And so the Israelites were broke, discouraged, depressed hopeless and they were hiding in caves and this tragic event went on for seven years and so in that period ultimately at the end of that period in their suffering they called out to god and is it amazing when things are going well with us we don't call out to god but when things get difficult then we call out to god you know what the beauty is that god responded And God always does because of His grace. And whenever we call out to God, God will always respond because He's a gracious God towards us. You see? And so God always responds. And He always delivers. And He always wins. We were singing songs here to remind ourselves that God will never fail. And we need to take cognizance of that. We need to make it a reality in our lives. God always wins. You see, we can say that God If we study this story, we can say that God actually magnified the weaknesses of Israel in order to greatly show his glory. Because God wants it to be about him, his ability, his might, his knowledge, not about us and our clever ways and our scheming ways. And we can be sure that God will use us in our weaknesses for his glory. And sometimes when we're in those difficult situations, we cannot understand why we can't get out of those things, but realize God might be allowing it so that he can manifest his glory through it. You see, and so in his response, what does God do? He raises up a man for the task. And that man's name is Gideon, and he's a farmer, he's a father who feels that he's the least in his family and from the smallest clan in the tribe of Manasseh, and so he felt disqualified and maybe you're feeling disqualified and that's good because god doesn't call the qualified god qualifies the called and that's what this story is about you see and so i want you to take note this morning Don't focus on your disabilities or lack of abilities. Focus on his ability. Because God is who he is. And he's able, no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstances, God is able to deliver. So the first thing I want you to note is that Gideon was called and chosen. So in Judges 6, 11 and 12, it says this. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abysserite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Yeah, we see a scaredy cat (laughs) hiding, and God makes this pronouncement. What do we learn about Gideon here? Remember, he was fearful, hiding in the winepress. And we can ask ourselves, who's the angel of the Lord? Many theologians believe it was a Christophany, meaning it was an appearance of Jesus to Gideon. But what comes to my mind is, why did God call him a man of valor? God was speaking to his potential. That's what God was doing. And... You know, God has a way of calling us up into who we are in him. Not based on our past or even our present behavior, because God knows who he has called us to be. And we need to focus on God's ability so that we can become the product that God intended for us to be or the person that he intended us to be. Now, despite Gideon's act of fear and cowardice, God called him a mighty man of valor. So God sees something that Gideon couldn't see. And oftentimes when we're looking at our lives, we can't see what God sees in the potential that he has within us. And so God sees what Gideon can become. And I want you to be encouraged today, no matter where you are, no matter what your circumstances are, God sees what you can become. You don't have to be who you are now. You don't have to remain in that situation because God sees who you can become. And see, God sees us differently from the ways that we see ourselves. But if we look here, Gideon is not really a picture of strength and courage because normally when they were thrashing wheat, they would go to an open space where there was wind and air blowing and then they would thrash it on the open so the wind could blow the chaff away and then they'd have the wheat kernels left over but here's Gideon, the Bible says, hiding in a winepress and a tree, thrashing this wheat with a stick, desperately trying to save that little bit that he had hidden from the Midianites. This is not a picture of a courageous hero. Rather, it's a picture of a defeated, discouraged man, filled with doubts and fears. Now, not only was he in that wine press physically, He was there spiritually and emotionally in fear. You see, Gideon appears to be a timid and bitter man while being challenged to deliver Israel. So he says to the angel of the Lord in Judges 6.13, this is what Gideon says to him. He says, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And Where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Look at Gideon's response. Here's God pronouncing what he sees in Gideon. He he, he calls Gideon. And this is Gideon's response. And he says, if the Lord is with us. Why why has all this happened? And where are the miracles? The Lord has forsaken us. Why? See? He had questions. He had doubts. He had discouragements. And there were two things that contributed to his cowardice and bitterness and timidity. Gideon was set up to have or live a life of uh, frustration. You know, he was bitter because God didn't come through for him. And in addition to that bitterness, Gideon felt that he had nothing to offer to help to improve things. He didn't even have the skills and the power to turn things around, but that's what he thought of himself. You see, and so often when we look at ourselves, that's what we kind of think of ourselves, that we don't have the capabilities, we don't have the giftings, we don't have this, we don't have that. Okay, that's how we see ourselves. But that's not how God sees. So God says to him, go in the strength that you have, And save Israel out of the Midianites' hands. Am I not sending you? Okay? So God is showing him something here. God doesn't demand from Gideon what he does not have. He says, go in the strength that you have. And so often when we look at ourselves and God has got a task for us, we we, we see our inadequacies. Okay? instead of seeing god's ability to work in that situation and so here we see here he says what you've got is enough because that's what i'm going to use because it's me i am going to deliver and so often when we look at the situation we think we have to do it instead of realizing that no matter where we are what we have if we just make it available to god and release it to god god will use that. Okay? And so God will see to it that Gideon becomes Israel's hero. But for God to mightily use Gideon, two things must happen for Gideon and possibly for us too. Two things Gideon needs to overcome. And they were reflected in those two words in his conversation, those two buts. That we read in verse 13, and I'm going to read verse 15 for you now again. But Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Isn't it amazing how we always make excuses? Isn't it amazing that when God is calling us to do something, how we make excuses instead of hearing what God is saying? So the first thing that we see here that Gideon must overcome is his disappointment with God. You see, because when you're disappointed with God, you will not serve him. And if you allow your disappointment uh, to stay, it's going to affect your relationship with him. Think about your own walk with God. How often hasn't your disappointment with God because you expected God to do something and he, according to you, he didn't perform and then you become disappointed and that disappointment affects your relationship. When you kind of think and listen to the devil, oh, I don't even want to pray. I don't even want to read the word because this Christian thing doesn't work. Okay? So, we now look here And we see that Gideon was not happy with the current situation. And maybe you find yourself in your current situation and you're not happy with it. Realize for seven years they were struggling just to have their basic needs met. And the way that the world is going and the cost of living is going, we're all struggling. So this is not unfamiliar territory to us. It's not something that we can't relate to. And here for seven years, they were struggling with the most basic needs. And so Gideon comes to this conclusion after seven years. God has abandoned them. Where are you? Where are you when we are suffering? If you love us so much, why didn't you intervene? How often haven't you heard that if God is a God of love, why doesn't he intervene? Why doesn't he do something? And that kind of shapes our thinking in our relationship with God. Why are we treated so unfairly? Common thing that we say today. These are the questions we ask God when we are suffering, when things are not going right for us. Gideon had an expectation that God had to do something more. And we too, when we're in that position of suffering, expect God to do something more. Instead of understanding that God's got an agenda, God's got a plan that is working out if we can just submit ourselves to that plan. So he had to overcome. See, the truth of the situation was God didn't abandon Israel. Israel abandoned God. I read that out to you in the beginning. They began to worship the gods of the Amorites instead of worshiping the God of their salvation. And it's so easy for us to be distracted diverted while we're still thinking that we're worshiping the god of our salvation and so we see here we see her okay and, and 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 the thing is this we find it so hard sometimes to be honest with god to speak to god about our fears about our problems and this is what we see when we're disappointed with god and unhappy we see this with gideon he keeps it in his heart for seven years only in that suffering does he cry out to God, okay, and becomes real with God. You see, and so often we, we think it, we feel it, but we don't say it out loud. But Gideon did. We hide those feelings because we don't want to appear without faith or irreligious. But we, the compulsion to say the right things actually keeps us spiritually sick because we're spiritually sick when we can't be honest enough with God to say what we feel. There are many examples in the Old Testament. Moses is another one. If you go and study him, you'll find that he was open and real with God and told God, he told God in his disappointment with God. But Gideon pours out his feelings and God leads him out of this discontent. And the second thing that Gideon must overcome is his doubt in God. And it's a common problem when we begin to serve God. You know why? Because we look at ourselves and, you know, how often haven't you heard a person say, I can't pray, I can't witness. I have difficulty reading my Bible. See, I can't do this, I can't do that. We, we, we kind of say those things, all right? And then we look at other people and say, I'm not as talented as him. I, 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 I. <laughs> and what's the problem here? You're looking at yourself. You're looking at your understanding and your lack, and that cripples you. And the problem is that you're becoming self-centered. It's all about you, it's all about me. It's all about self. Now in the years I've learned to look at what God calls you to. God calls you and me to be a witness. He calls you and me to be salt and light. He calls you and me to be different from the world. So when we look at that, what God calls us to, and we see the needs and believe that the God who calls us will supply the need, Supply the lack to fulfill those needs, he'll enable you because he called you. God doesn't call you to do something that you're not capable of doing, okay? If God doesn't supply your needs, if he doesn't supply your needs, he wouldn't have called you in the first place. See, God didn't touch you and bring you to salvation in Christ if he didn't know that you have the ability to become everything that he intended from the start before you were even born, And so God just called Gideon. And I want us to look here quickly in Judges 6.14. It's not going to come up on the screen, but I'm going to read it to you. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. You shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Over and over, God is speaking and encouraging him and strengthening his faith. You see, Gideon was a nobody. He was weak and fearful and discouraged. So the question comes, could God use him? Yes, a thousand times yes. No matter where you are, God can use you too. Okay, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27 says this, and I want us to take note of it. It says, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. That's to you and that's to me. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential, not many of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Okay? Now my question to you this morning is this. Are you hiding in the wine press, afraid to go public with your faith in God? That was Gideon's situation. He was hiding in the white press, not openly, demonstrating his faith in God in that situation he was fearful his fear kept him from going public and so we see God walking Gideon out of disappointment and doubt and Gideon needs to settle these things before he can become the hero the mighty man of valor and so the next thing in the story we see is that Gideon has an encounter with Jesus called and chosen an encounter with Jesus Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and bread with the tip of the staff of his hand and fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all he had brought. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. And when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, Oh, sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Why did he cry out? Because you know the scripture says no man can see God face to face and live. And so look at God. He says, it's all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid, you will not die. And so Gideon built the altar there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. And so it's after this encounter that Gideon was ready to be used by the Lord. See, God has compassion on us in our weaknesses. And if you look at the end of Judges chapter 6, it's all the story about Gideon and his fleece and all that. Maybe you know the story, maybe you don't. But I'll challenge you to go and read it for yourself. But if we looked at that, you can either say that Gideon was, fe- that he feared his own ability to rightly discern the word of God, or God's voice, or feared God's ability for God to keep his word. And sometimes that's where we are. We hear God's voice but we think God is not capable of providing according to what he said. You see, and so here we find, but no matter what the cause of Gideon's insistence on having those instructions repeated three times, three miracles, the fire and then with the fleeces, okay? A second and a third time. What we can draw out of this is that we can be encouraged that God had compassion on Gideon's weaknesses And he did repeat himself clearly so Gideon could obey. Because at the end of the day, that's what God is looking for out of our lives, to be obedient to whatever he requires of us. And then thirdly, we see God gave Gideon a mission. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal, that your father has and cut down the wooden image or an Asherah pole as it is in some translations that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God and on top of this rock in the proper arrangement take the second bull and offer burnt sacrifices with the wood of the image that you shall cut down and I already made reference to that. See, so out of this situation in this interaction and this mission that God gave to Gideon Gideon, he said Gideon must first deal with with the compromise and the sin that was in Israel, okay? Israel as a nation had compromised, and instead of serving God, they were now serving Baal and, uh, and making sacrifices, okay, on the altars that they built to, Gal, to Baal. And so Gideon did it. Even though he was fearful, he went out at night with some of his friends and did exactly what God had asked him to do. You see, and only after he dealt with the compromise and the sin in Israel did God say, now deal with the enemy. And so often for us, we fail. We want to have victory over the enemy. We want to tell the devil what to do and bind him this, or that, and the other. And we are powerless because we haven't dealt with the compromise and the sin in our own lives. You see, it starts with you and me dealing with what's the problem in our own lives, whether we're fearful, whether we lack faith, whatever it is. Once we deal with the sin and the compromise in our own lives and become totally dedicated and committed to God, then we have the power and the ability to deal with the enemy, whatever that enemy might be in your life or my life. And so having clearly determined uh, uh, the will of God, that God told him that he would uh, uh, lead the Israelites' army to great victory over the Midianites, Gideon calls for all the able-bodied men. 32,000 guys show up. He looks at these 32,000 and says, wow, this is cool. We can do it. 32,000 guys. I mean, sure. Uh, God, God says, wait a minute, Gideon. Not so hasty. You've got too many guys. W- what do you mean, God? Too many. God says, no, I- I'm going to thin them out. Why? Because God wanted it to be a God thing and not a man thing. And so often in the situation, we want to come with our might, our strength, our wisdom, and it becomes a man thing instead of a God thing. Okay? And so he says, listen, (sighs) it's amazing what fear can do to you. He says, ask the guys who's afraid. And those guys who are afraid, send them home. 22,000. That shows you what fear can do. Okay, when you're looking at overwhelming odds, and you'll understand why I'm saying that in a moment. So there's 10,000 guys left. (laughs) Ah, Gideon, you know. Put yourself in his shoes. The hero, the farmer, the fearful one hiding in the winepress. Okay, Lord. God says, no, no, Gideon, there's still too many. (laughs) This is what I want you to do. Take them down to the brook. Let them drink water. Those that lap the water like a dog, put them to one side. Those that kneel down and drink, put them to another side. 10,000. 300 are lapping. God says, I'm going to use those, you and those 300, to deliver Israel from the hand of the Midianite. Now understand, the enemy, the Bible tells us, was numbered at (laughs) 135,000. Put yourself in those shoes. It's got to be a God thing. It's got to be a God thing. Okay? How else is it going to work? So God gives him the strategy, Okay? And so then God says to him, uh, the 300 who lapped, I will deliver the whole army. I will hand over the Midianites to you. And so that the men were chosen, they took their supplies and their trumpets. And you can read that story, and I challenge you to go and read it in Judges chapter 7. Because this is an anecdote of God's grace that can help us when we are afraid. Because I can imagine if I was Gideon and the 300 of us, our knees would probably be knocking. That's how afraid we would be, okay? And so God goes out of his way to make sure that Gideon's encouraged, and that his faith is becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. So what does God do? He awakes Gideon in the middle of the night, and that we find in Judges 7.10, and it should be up there. It says, but if you're afraid to go down, now God's talking about going down to battle, okay? Going down to battle because the Israelites were up here and the Amalekites and the Ites and all the other Ites and all the other lighties they were down there. Okay? And so he takes Pura, his servant, because that's what he says. Go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. And so Gideon takes Pura down to them and they sneak into the Midianite camp and eavesdrop on a conversation around the fire. And this is what they hear. Two guys talking. And the first guy says, I had a dream last night. I dreamt that a loaf of barley rolled down the hill into the camp and flattened the tents. Hmm. This is the enemy talking. And so the other guy replies, he says, listen, you know what? Your dream can only mean one thing. Gideon and his men are going to whip us. 135,000 we're going to get whipped by these 300 so you know what Gideon takes this dream and the interpretation of this dream as a sign from God and he goes back to the camp to rally the troops wow we don't have to be afraid of God's rebuke when our hearts are set on obeying on the Lord even even if we have moments of weakness. So I want you to be encouraged because courage is not the absence of fear, okay? It's doing what's right, even when we feel afraid. You see, because when we are fearful, and you know that when we are fearful, we are scared to make decisions, we're scared to do certain things. And instead of doing what's right, out of fear, we do what's wrong. But courage is not the absence of fear, it's doing what's right, even when we feel afraid. You see, God will help us if we obey him, like Gideon did. And even though he felt afraid, even though he felt afraid, okay, the, the, the moment he was strengthened, the Bible says he praised God. The moment that your faith is vaulted, praise God. Why? Because God indwells the praises of his people. You will sense the presence of God. You will become bolder. Your faith will increase. And so he goes down, he's praising God, and he goes down to the camp and he tells the guys, and he divides them into three groups of a hundred each, and he gives them instructions. And then he encourages them, and he tells them that the Lord is handing the Midianite army over. He doesn't say, Guys, we're going to do it, we're going to deliver. He said, no, be strengthened. God is going to deliver. God is going to do it, okay? God is going to do it. And so he timed his attack, all right, in the middle of the watch, just as they were changing guards. And so the Bible says they blew their trumpets, broke the jars that they were carrying, because inside each of those jars was a lamp. So in the left hand they had the jar, and these three groups of 100 men surrounded the entire camp. And at the same time, they broke the jar, blew the trumpet, and as they blew the trumpet, now put yourself in that position. Okay? Just think of yourself being in a mall, and suddenly a fire alarm sounds. Can you imagine the chaos? with all, And the mall here is full. People running in every direction, bumping into each other and all the rest. That's the scenario I want you to see. Because now, here they're surrounded, and at the same time, boom, all around the camp, light is being revealed, the sound of this trumpet blowing, okay, and they shout, all right, this is the shout, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon, Whew. man. The Lord caused that Midian army to run around in confusion. They had drawn their swords. They were killing each other. All the Israelites had to do was stand, blow the trumpet, hold the light. God did the rest. You see, when God comes through, God can change the situation for us. Okay? How does that apply to you and me? Paul says this. And I want us to take note in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10 from the NIV. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake, listen carefully. That's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Because it's not me, it's the power of God through me. Hallelujah. So we don't have to be embarrassed by our weaknesses. We can be confident that God will use our weaknesses and maybe even because of them to show off his power and glory. Amen. Now, I cannot leave you without an application to this story. Because it's one thing to hear the word and one thing to remember the word, but another to experience what God wants us to experience. And remember I told you the story was of great exploits, but it is also about transformation. You see, and transformation comes when we take the word and apply it to our lives and obey the word that God is. So I wanted to say to you today, you are called and you are chosen. Every one of you, you are called and you are chosen by God. And that's an amazing thought. It really is, okay, that God calls us and chooses us. Because often we look at ourselves and say, I'm nothing. What can I ever amount to? I haven't got a matric, I haven't this, I haven't that, I haven't got a degree or what. Say, can, can God? Yes, God chooses you. God calls you. And that's an amazing thought because God can do fantastic, phenomenal, amazing things in you and through you. Okay? And then also, Louis said, the Christian isn't somebody that's good. There's no good Christian. Don't, don't worry, Louis. You're on the ball here. You see, because a believer is not someone that is good. You and I are not good. No good thing dwells within us, the Bible says. Okay? But a believer is someone who has experienced the goodness of God. And that, that is what happened with Gideon. He experienced the goodness of God in his weakness, in his timidity, in his fear. God came and the goodness of God was in that situation. And with that encounter, he had a transformation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay. And so not only does God call us, you and I need an encounter with Jesus because an encounter with Jesus changes everything. Yeah. I come out of darkness into light. I come out of sin into righteousness. I come out of the old creation. I'm a new creation. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. An encounter with Jesus changes everything. If your circumstances and that are not changing, question whether you've had a real encounter with Jesus. Because nobody can have a real encounter with Jesus and not experience change. And then, just lastly, God has given us a mission. He gave Gideon a mission to deal with the sin and the compromise, and then with the enemy. And life is hard, and there are battles, but God doesn't want us to be at the beginning of the story hiding in a cave like Gideon was. We see a fearful, uh, intimidated man hiding. God taking this fearful, intimidated man, giving him an encounter, transforming his life, gives him a mission, and he goes forth with boldness. Becomes God's hero. Okay? And so you and I have got a mission to be salt, to be light, to be righteousness to be a voice, to stand up for truth, no matter what it's going to cost us. But it won't happen until we deal with a situation of the problem that's within us. Is it fear? Is it timidity? Is it anxiety? Is it doubt? Is it anger against God? Whatever it is, needs to be dealt with. And that's what happened at the rail this morning, at the altar, okay? And if you haven't dealt with it yet, ask God to show you what needs to be dealt with in your life, okay? Okay? How are you going to respond? What is your weakness that needs to be dealt with? Is it fear like Gideon? Confess it and see yourself as God sees he wants you to be. But victory won't come until we deal with the compromise and the sin in our own lives. Do you know what? Inside of you, you and you and you and you and you and me is a hero or a heroine waiting to emerge because God sees the ability in you. It's not about you. It's about what he's planted in you and what he can do in you and what he can do through you. Now, will you take the word and not just say it's a good message, hear it, apply it, and experience that transformation for the glory of your Father in Jesus' name. Come, let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to experience the power of your word. Give us hearts that are willing to obey. And Lord, may we deal with the issues so that the power of your spirit can bring that transformation, that deliverance, that change in our lives. Because Lord, you're looking for heroes. You're looking for heroines. You're looking for people who will stand up to be counted in this world that's falling apart, in this world that's becoming more and more morally deprived. Lord, you're looking for people to lead your people into victory. And God, we are here. Use this church. Use this community. Use this family. Use me. Use my family. I'm reminded of those words. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So thank you for a fresh encounter. We surrender ourselves afresh to you for your honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.